Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. This is Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong, and this is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, Finley Knight. Whoever said that nice guys finish last had obviously never been to the American Midwest. Plenty of Heartland dwellers accomplish amazing things in the world without being jerks, and the Chicago-based duo Finley Knight exemplifies the idea that affability can produce great music. Finley Knight is comprised of two brothers, John and Connor Detchen, who create their music with a fearless approach that incorporates any and all technological accoutrements. There are drums and guitars aplenty, but they share the expansive sonic space of Finley Knight with loops, drum machines, synthesizers, and anything else that the composers can get their hands on. The result informs the listener that these guys grew up in a mashup world in which they are natives to the types of modern technology used to make music in entirely new ways. Working with producer-drummer Joey Waronker on their eponymous full-length debut album brought a new focus on rhythm to Finley Knight's sound, so thumping, ticking beats keep their soundscapes from getting bogged down in dreamy synthland. The Finley Knight album will be available everywhere on May 6, 2014, and it is a triumph in the realm of nice guys making good and making good music. Welcome to Independence Day, Finley Knight. Hey, guys. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having us. How's it going, man? It's a pleasure to have you. And you guys are John and Connor. Because you're Chicagoans originally, but you're out in LA. You did this last record, which is, uh, or this most recent record, which is going to be your newest record, your essentially debut record, right? Yeah. Uh, Finley Knight, self titled eponymous record. You did that with Joey Warnker out here in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've, you've since gone back to Chicago, right? Yes. That's kind of still where you live, your hometown. Mm-hmm. So, how was it? I mean, the first question I'll ask is what, I mean, what about Los Angeles? Why Los Angeles? Like, aside from, was it just to work with Joey? Well, actually, I'd moved out here. Before we connected with Joey, um, really with the mindset, figure out how people license music to film and media. And I uh, was going to uh, some NARIP sessions and meeting with music supervisors and loved it out here. Convinced Connor he had to come out. Yeah. And uh, Connor was the one who connected to Joey. And, and then we realized... If you know, if we want to keep moving forward as a band and not just license music to film or commercials, we need to team up with the yeah. producer. Yeah, yeah. And how did you connect with him? Because he's you know he's a well-known guy in the mm-hmm. business. I mean, I know he works with a lot of people. So how how did you get his attention? Like that seems to be like the biggest challenge for like young bands is how to find somebody in the industry to kind of be their benefactor, mm-hmm. or be their champion. You know, definitely. Yeah, it was interesting that the, uh, when John moved out here, I, at the same time we were pursuing. Wor- finding a producer that would be a good fit and we actually were extremely interested in working with John Coggleton who uh, we were aware of because of all the great work he's done with St. Vincent who's uh, you know a phenomenal artist that we love and so we just did some uh, I guess investigative work and found the the management company that he works with and so um, we we had found that Joey actually worked under this manager as well and that was our point of contact was uh, uh, a manager okay. at this agency. And yeah, because they can definitely facilitate. I mean, was there was this the kind of thing where you had to find a, like a paid manager or did you, because there's different arrangements mm-hmm. in the business. Like some people, like I, I know a guy, uh, a guest I had on a few weeks ago, he's a young guy, moved down here from Northern California, and he found... 
he just kind of had to find a guy to help him out, like help mm-hmm. point him in the right direction. But there was no money involved. Yeah. Like, did you actually have to invest so, money? So, yes, we 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 basically ahead of time knew our budget and what what we could spend in in our travel time because we if we were going to come work with Joey, we were going to have to come out to LA, and so we presented ourselves as look this is the record that we made the last year we want to reproduce it with um joey warnaker and we would love to for you to show him this and and see if it would be a good fit um and we had connected with joey's uh manager adam katz so we didn't hire a manager to help us connect with adam yeah because every band it seems that's the one thing that they didn't tell me coming up as a young musician was that like you you feel like you it's all who you know, they say, in the business, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who you know will get you to that next step. But if you don't, you like you show up from wherever your hometown is in, in L.A. or New York or Nashville, wherever you're going to go, and you don't know anybody. Yeah. yeah. So you feel like, okay, now what am I going to do? Do I hang out on hang out yeah. in front of the Capitol Records building, or yeah. what do you do? You <laughs> I know? mean, that's the great thing about Google. Yeah. <laughs> half, yeah. half the contacts <laughs> that we, we develop are from searching, uh, you know, different management and agencies that are and labels that are invested into bands that we love. And then we say, well, listen, we we should try and get in contact with these managers right. instead of... Yeah. So basically, a getting that manager then was the first step. Yes. And then the manager was then the person who... Because he's got the contacts. Yep. He kind of knows the people that you want to work with, producers and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, I'm talking with the band Finley Knight. They are John and Connor Detchen. They are brothers, Chicago-based guys. Uh, and but you're a duo, like the whole band is right here. Yeah, right, just the two of you. Just us. And yeah, you're both both multi instrumentalists. So like I, you know, you'll see when we start playing these songs a little later. You guys bounce around different instruments. So is your studio at home just packed with different kinds of instruments? All kinds. All of yeah, kinds of yeah. Stuff? It's pretty cluttered. But uh, yeah. we've, we've been in the same space for about five or six years now. Okay. And uh, yeah, we love it. Yeah. So what you know, what instruments did you start on? Like, what was your first? Because everyone, like, there's that whole story, like, Eddie Van Halen and Alex Van Halen, when they first started, they actually were switched. Okay, Eddie was yeah. playing drums, and yeah. Alex was playing guitar, and Eddie rocketed past Alex, so then somebody <laughs> talked him into switching, and the rest is history. Like, what did you start with? Yeah, we both started on piano, and then I quickly switched to guitar. Connor stuck with piano. Yeah. And um, and then we both got into drumming, um, and we had a setup in, in our parents' garage, and... Uh, and we just kept switching instruments, and then we realized, you know, I kind of wanted to play piano, and Connor wanted to play guitar, so <laughs> then we tried that out, and uh, and then we uh, realized we can incorporate that into the yeah. set. Yeah, because what you guys do when you see videos, everybody should drop by their YouTube page to check out what you guys are all about, which is finleynight.com. I'm sorry, youtube.com slash finleynight, but you can also go to finleynight.com. There's links that link to everywhere else. Yeah. The internet is all kinder, interwebbed and connected. Um, when you watch you guys perform live, you're both doing like the octopus thing where you're each playing a few different instruments. I saw some videos where somebody was playing drums at the same time that they were playing like a little patty thing with their fingers mm-hmm. and there's guitars and keyboards and mugs and all these different things. Um, you know, the edge was the first guy that I know from you two who really incorporated doing a thousand things at once, mm-hmm. you know, because if you look at the rest of you too, you know, Bono's doing his ego thing. And he's great. You know, he, he's, he's the one that's connecting with the crowd, yeah. right? And then Adam's uh, doing his bass thing, but that's pretty much all he does. He stands back there and plays his bass. And Larry mm-hmm. Mullen Jr., he's got his hands full doing those 16th note things on the hi-hat that he does. Mm-hmm. In this, uh, um, but the Eds does everything else. So your band, it's like you have two edges, yeah. almost. <laughs> yeah, have you thought about it that way, maybe? Yeah, we, 
we uh we got we, i think we have seven or eight loop pedals okay so now we have like seven edges and we okay. just like, keep the loops going yeah. and uh we love it though yeah yeah it's, yeah it's cool it's a cool sound i mean it's when I watch you guys play, like I'm in, in some ways, I'm I'm the same way. I play a lot of different instruments because for me, I get bored of just playing the same thing. I mean, guitar is my principal guitar and voice. Mm-hmm. But I started learning other instruments. Uh, you know, it's like a Tom Waits thing. He says that you know when you play other instruments, uh, you come up with different ideas because your hands are like old dogs. They yeah. just go down the same trails and do the same things over and over mm-hmm. again. But if you play an instrument that you're not as adept at playing. That sometimes that's where happy accidents happen. Definitely, yeah. Like, and it's inspiration kind of comes from those things that you don't know mm-hmm. that you can do very well. Uh, I'm talking with Finley Knight. They're a Chicago-based band out here in Los Angeles to play a show. They've got a brand new record. It's going to drop May sixth, sixth rather. Uh, you can learn about them at finleyknight.com. And just to clear this up, it's Knight with a K. Can K N I G H T. So finleyknight.com. Let's hear a little bit about what these guys sound like. We've got a track queued up here from their brand new record. It's going to drop pretty soon. The track is called Mad Hatter. The band is Finley Knight on Independence Day.
My name is Joe Armstrong. Their name collectively is Finley Knight with a K. N-I-G-H-T, K, kidding, kidding, kidding. Uh, drop by FinleyKnight.com. Check out everything you need to know about them. Also, YouTube.com slash FinleyKnight. And you can follow them on Twitter at FinleyKnight. And, of course, follow us on In-Depth Day at In-Depth Day on Twitter or indepthday.com. So happy to bring you these guys here. So you guys have got this unique style, which is kind of an amalgam of a lot of different things. But I, I myself would throw it like loosely in like this experimental electronic art poppy kind of thing. Like if you guys were pinned down in a in a in an el- uh, escal- escalator, that makes no sense at all. <laughs> if you're in an elevator with someone and, and somebody's like, "What does your band sound like?" You know, you've got 30 seconds to make that pitch. What do you tell yeah. them? Uh, recently, I've been saying it's Chicago dance drums meets okay. meets L.A. freeway pop. Okay. Sub 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 genre. <laughs> That's what you're going for. I here. usually say we are uh, an an alternative an indie alternative electronic duo yeah because we're in this we're in this phase like it's i don't want to say post rock because i think rock is still very much alive because if if i my heart's still beating rock and roll is still alive uh but we're in this you know we're in an era where you know the word bin when it comes to a record store is an archaic term it doesn't make any sense anymore like you used to go like if you go to amoeba where you guys when you guys are out here in la yeah. a big giant store where then they have to divide it up by country and pop and rock and blues and jazz but you know, when record stores were the way that everyone bought music, okay, well, what bin are you in, they would say. Are you in the rock bin? Are you in the folk bin? Yeah. You know, now it doesn't matter. Like, everything is, like, sub, it's fractured. Everything is sub genre out to the point yeah. where it doesn't really even matter to a certain extent. You know, I just, I just give them a CD and say, well, you tell me what it sounds like. Yeah. That's what I do. Anyway, so let's talk just a little bit about working together as brothers, you know, because yeah. you, you know, there are famous duos, famous brothers, bands that go back to, to you know, time immemorial. Uh, you know, Ray Davies and Dave Davies from the Kinks would get in fist fights. <laughs> you know, you guys don't seem like the kind of guys who get in fist fights about your music. Yeah, no, we we try and avoid that. Yeah. So did uh, did you always know that music was going to be the thing that you guys wanted to do together, or were there other things that you studied and then music is just something you did all along the, along the way and that's what you're still doing or? You know, how, how did this come to pass in terms of your family and, and still working together? Because some brothers hate each other and some brothers love each other and yeah. they work well together. I mean, we, we've been playing music together forever, just uh, starting at age six and seven with our piano lessons and our older brother actually as well. He's, he's probably the best piano player of the three of us. We've been trying to get him to, to join the band for years. But anyway, we, uh, I think we had just progressively kept playing together and playing in different bands and in, starting in high school with Battle of the Bands and performing in our school and, and uh, that sort of thing, we it, music became a, mo- a more important part of our life and it just continued. In college, we were both studying different things and um, I'm not sure even in college if we knew we were going to take it this far, uh-huh. but just it just kept evolving and uh, we stuck together doing it. So what were the other styles as you were playing in different bands? Like before you settled on this kind of indie alternative-y, uh, electronic-y thing, like what were there other, were there like rock bands in there or metal bands or was it all pretty close to this? Uh, there were rock bands. And I mean, we started off with classical music, okay. not as a band, but uh, and learning jazz standards mm-hmm. and and uh, getting really into the um, jam, just yeah, the jam no no set structure, just jamming for hours and hours. Okay. 
Um, Would that now, when you were doing that, was it just the two of you jamming for hours and hours, or did you have other guys along with or girls? We had other guys coming in and out, and um, uh, uh, the first group we had was called Hambone. Okay, and uh, that was four guys, five guys, and uh, it was, so it was two guitars, bass, drums, keys. Okay, sometimes six too. Sometimes okay. six, yeah, where we'd have two drummers, and then I guess. Yeah, we kept icing people out here and there. <laughs> no, we weren't. We weren't. But people, you know, kept dropping out, and and Connor was the only one who would, you know, I could wake him up and we could play. I didn't have to set up. <laughs> I didn't have to set a schedule. I love that visual. Hey, <laughs> hey, you sleeves, get up. We're gonna play some tunes. Yeah. So so uh, yeah, and then after the jam scene, we got really into um, the indie rock. Radiohead style, uh, you know, emotional songs, yeah. and then, um, and then we, at least I became obsessed with these loops, and I've been dragging Connor through that. Okay, I think he's into it now. Oh, and, definitely. And for people who are not musicians or technically inclined, a loop is essentially a little box that you put on the floor or on your, you know, somewhere close to you as you're an instrument or as an instrumentalist or a singer, and your signal runs through that device. And then you can start it, stop it, and do all these crazy things with it where it records essentially a little bit of what you've just done. And then you can play it back, play it back as a loop, in other words, over and over and over. Or you can reverse it. You can do all these crazy yeah. things with it. And there's a lot of musicians who are really doing really cool, crazy things. Like some guys, you see like the one-man band. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You go to a bar. There's a guy with a guitar. And he's just he'll start, like he'll just tap on the guitar. Thump, 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 thump. And he'll sample that and then play that back. So that becomes his drum beat. So yeah. now he's got that. So then he'll play a rhythm part over that. But now he's playing Superstition with the thump and the lick. And then he does a solo over it. And then you can get, if you can, you can do as many of those pedals as you want. And some people do harmonies and do all these other crazy things. It really opens up a lot of possibilities. Mm -hmm. You know, how long ago was it that you started incorporating loops and that kind of technology into your playing? Um, it started when we were in high school, uh, really just to practice. We bought boomerang pedals so we can uh, lay down chords. So if Connor wasn't around, I could lay down chords mm -hmm. and practice, mm -hmm. and he could do the same. And then uh, more recently, uh, we didn't start looping our vocals probably for maybe two years ago. Then we got really into that where you know we can use our, our, our voices as instruments as well. Yeah. And uh, that's opened up a lot for our performance and songwriting and, it's, and then, it's a lot of fun and, yeah. then, and then we also brought in um a bunch of triggers so these pads you can touch and br to bring in different sounds yeah and that opened up that was we added like five more edges when yeah. we ha added that so yeah because you can take two people and make them sound like a whole band which mm -hmm. you couldn't have done even you know 20 years ago you could kind of do it 10 years ago you could do it a little more but now you could you could be a one person and just go and do the whole thing do the whole band. Yeah. Uh, John Bryan, do you know the producer John Bryan, B-R-I-O-N? No. Works with, uh, he plays at Largo out here in Los Angeles quite a bit. He works with uh, Fiona Apple, mm. as well as a lot of really other really amazing musicians. He, he does a thing, like uh, it's weekly at Largo, a great place to play here in LA, where he'll do that kind of thing, where he'll, he's extremely adept at a lot of different instruments, way more than I could ever be. And he'll just start all these different things and people go just to see him do his thing. He's like a Svengal, cool. he's like a wizard. It's amazing stuff. So let's hear what this sounds like. You've got you've got keyboards, you've got a Moog, you've got uh, we've got you're borrowing my guitar actually, uh, so be nice to it. And you've got uh, that drum pad thing you were telling me about here. Why don't you play a tune for us? What's this first tune going to be? 
First one uh, is Caving In. Okay, Caving In. So this is the band Finley Knight with the track Caving In here on Independence Day. gentlemen very very cool way to incorporate all these different types of effects and these different types of loops 
Uh, and one other thing that you guys do that's interesting too, once upon a time it was verboten for bands to bring things to put their lead vocals through, like effects boxes. Front of house guys got really bent out of shape about that mm-hmm. because then they don't really have control over what you're doing on stage in terms of distorting your vocal, adding echo, adding reverb. Um, but you know, I remember once upon a time when I used to sell music gear, people would come into the show and vocalists would come in and say, well, I want to run my voice through this guitar effect. You know, that had all these yeah. different effects. And like, how can I do that? And we'd figure out a cockamamie way to do it. But it would work. Um, and you guys do it very, very creatively. It's very, very cool. So kudos to you, man. Thank um, you. Talking to John and Connor Detchen. They're a Chicago-based band. Together they make up a band called Finley Knight. Like the band Dawes, they are named after their middle names, which are Finley and Knight. Very clever. Good work. Thanks. Um, so you've got other siblings who you haven't roped into the band. But, uh, We've been trying to. Trying to? Yeah. So is the, I guess the, the better question is, is it intentionally a duo or is it just a duo out of the function and convenience of that's what you are for now? Like it's like some bands have like this aesthetic, like the White Stripes. They are a duo. Even though every time I heard them, I wanted to hear bass, they just did the, the two-person thing. That's like their whole aesthetic. Mm-hmm. In your case, is it, this is just what it is for now? Like is the band open to having, you know, if John Bryan wanted to join your band? We'd be like, hey, man, come on, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, we, I think uh, we became a duo as function, and we've found that we love it. It's, it's been easier for us to manage. Um, and, you know, but we, we also have people join us on stage every now and then. And, and uh, okay. I think the, as our music evolves, I'm uh, sure the band can evolve as well. But, uh, okay. But we enjoy, you know, just the two of us. Yeah. It certainly makes scheduling rehearsals a lot easier. Definitely. Like you said, you only have to wake the guy up. Hey, <laughs> do you guys, are you guys roommates back in Chicago? We're not. No, okay. not. That we would have be... been, but. <laughs> too close? A little yeah. too, yeah. Okay. It's funny because, you know, people, again, people who aren't musicians don't realize that, like you see a band, like a Van Morrison style, like Blue Eyed Soul Band, where there's like 13 people in the band. Yeah. They don't realize that every single person you add to a band increases the logistical complications, like, logarithmically yeah like every person you add then it's like that other person's issues and that's not all bad too they bring good stuff too but scheduling a rehearsal with as i've had up to eight nine people in my band over the years and scheduling a rehearsal with nine people four of which email three of which phone call one of which texts only one guy needs smoke (laughs) signals and another guy needs a carrier pigeon because they all have their own way and it's totally the way it was things have changed man uh so once again, the band Finley Knight. Drop by finleyknight.com to check out what they're up to. Let's talk a little bit about rhythm. Because it's one thing as I was emailing back and forth with you guys as we were getting our technical considerations lined up for this, is that you said, you know, one guy will essentially handle rhythm. Yeah. You know, uh, instead of just doing all instrumental, uh, you know, harmonic instruments as opposed to rhythm. So was that something that was a, a conscious decision to always have that rhythm? Because that's, that's the idea I got. To have someone doing whether it's a real drum set or a drum machine was that a conscious thing i think uh, you know essentially about two years ago we we had a drummer that played with us we there were three of us uh bryce was his name he phenomenal drummer he had to move back south to texas but um at that point we wanted to just keep playing shows right then and there and so we john and i had been drumming all along either way and we decided, well, let's try and rearrange these songs and see how we can get the octopus thing going. Okay. Uh, and we, we love playing rhythm. So that's, I guess, when it began. That's really when a lot of the loops and triggers started coming okay. in, too. 
Yeah, because that's an essential aspect for you know a lot of audiences. Uh, they they like to move. They like yeah. to dance or shake. Yeah. You know, up tempo music gets them moving. You know, there's all different styles of music. But for what you're doing, excuse me, in that style, having some kind of rhythm that's kind of driving things mm-hmm. is, is an important important thing. Definitely for that style. For us too, it's it it makes it so much more fun to have rhythm going it, or else we wouldn't be moving on stage. And no, are, are you guys using sequencers too? Oh, we have uh, a Korg Volca, which is a sequencer, and um, it's really interesting because you can manipulate it on the fly. Okay. So you you can choose out of eight different drum sounds, yeah, and change the patterns on the fly. And so, yeah, we've been using that a lot more. We're going to be using that tonight at school night. Okay. Very cool. Because the thing about drum machines is that uh, this has kind of changed, but at one point drummers were very threatened by drum machines because it was like, okay, that's doing my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then for a while, you know, I, I knew a lot of drummers who just hated them completely. They wouldn't touch them. They wouldn't use them because it's like essentially an electronic version of them. Mm-hmm. You know, their job has now been outsourced to a machine. Yeah. You know, they're cold and they're rigid and they don't, you know, they're not creative. But so many bands, yourself included, have found a way to just kind of roll that into what they're already doing. And have it be part of it, like using its power for good instead of its power for yeah. evil. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're doing. Sometimes you'll have a sequencer playing like an automated loop, and then you'll be playing like the pad thing on top of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, very very cool. Um, let's talk about because you know you're so dependent on technology for what you do. I mean, when you're constructing a song with a guitar, like you're sitting around an acoustic guitar, like that seems like an obvious way to write a song. You come up with some chords, you take a melody, you put it on top of it, and then you've got your song. You know, you arrange the verses, write some lyrics, making it sound much easier than it really is. <laughs> but like, that's the tried and true way that people have been doing it for so long. When you're doing it like you do, where it's so layered and there's so many different levels and all these different things, and there's there's a lot of responsibility that each of you have when you're performing. Like, how do you construct the songs? Like, do you sit around with a piano and come up with a melody and then decide how you're going to arrange it with we, all these different things? Or how does it come to be? We always talk about the song has to be able to stand on its own with just a guitar okay. or a piano. So that's one part of it. The other part is we spent over a year working on this record and um, passing it back and forth and working together on it. And and so these layers came out, mm-hmm. and, um, and we loved the layers. We didn't focus on keeping it we, – we didn't – we we figured out how to play the songs after we recorded okay. it. Yeah. So in other words, you know, it's like a studio and live are like two separate things. Like mm-hmm. first you go in, you do, you build the song the way you want it to sound like in the studio. Mm-hmm. And then you figure out how you're gonna do your octopus thing to yeah, encompass as much of that as possible. Mm-hmm. We didn't want show. we didn't want to be restricted to only having right. three loops yeah. going. We yeah. wanted to have to figure out how to do six loops. And every okay. every song Basically, it was constructed in, in a different in a different way. Uh, sometimes it was great to start with a cool rhythm that led to you know one of us trying to sing over it, and then led to chords. And some songs started with chords, uh, you know, the reverse way. And we were recording these songs in different cities. We uh, on the record, we have recordings from New York, Buenos Aires, Chicago, uh, Northwoods of Wisconsin, L.A. Yeah. Yes. So, because you're traveling around with all this gear, essentially, you can just be creative with it wherever you are. Mm-hmm. It's not like you need a pristine. Because that's another thing. It's a benefit of doing this style of music, is that 
Well, let me ask you this. Let me back up just a little bit. What percentage of the stuff that you do is an actual live acoustic instrument that's not a sequence or a synthesizer or a mode or style yeah. thing or you know a pad thing like a live you know wood or metal instrument like what percentage of, of the record would you say is non-electronic well all the piano is a real piano no we didn't do any synth pianos um that was one rule of ours yeah a um, um, couple acoustic guitars and then mo- most songs have a combination of of you know a recorded drum set an acoustic drum set and and also um some sequenced hits or uh some cool drum sounds that that we would have found on a drum pad so okay. there's a lot of combinations going on but uh and yeah. also we had some uh we had some acoustic drums that we would then manipulate afterwards okay. yeah yeah because the studio that's the whole George Martin thing having the studio be like the fifth beatle mm-hmm. you know where here's the song you know, the John and Paul would sit around and write the song with the harmonies, the melody, the bridge, whatever. And then they would take it in the studio and kind of smash it, Yeah, you know, and then take its components and reassemble it and add crazy sound effects. And, you know, the Beatles were ahead of the curve as far as that's concerned. Beatles and Definitely. Beach Boys. Um, I mean, you guys are just an evolution of using the studio as a creative tool, not just something to document what's happening live. Mm-hmm. It's an actual creative aspect. And then once you've got it done, you take it, how different are the live versions? I mean, do you try to stick pretty close, or are, is is it pretty open? When, when you go to, I'm sorry, when I when I to clarify, mm-hmm. you've got the studio version. Everything is sounding the way you want it to sound. And then when you go to do it live, do you try to stick pretty close to that, or is it kind of open season? So like? it's a, it's kind of a combination because we try and stick close to the songs with in terms of the the sounds we're producing, but we also from a jam band point of view earlier in our career we we love exploring uh the sonic space yeah. as they say taking songs like such a in different directions um okay when we're, when we're first figuring the songs out we try to stick as close to possible as the record and then once we get that down then we expand it and okay. we figure out where to fit jams in and where to mix things up so when you do when you're doing a live show you're actually even though you've got sequencers and loops and all these things you're leaving space in your music for improvisation definitely is what you're saying and sometimes it happens by accident and you know we we look over at each other like wow that was pretty cool and we'll keep going with it well that's where the creativity comes from because otherwise uh you know there's like the daft punk thing which i'm not entirely sure i get it's cool people seem to love it but it's like the guys in the suits and it's you could theoretically press play on an iPod or a CD player or yeah. whatever and then stand there and pretend like you're screwing around with stuff and nobody would know one way or another. <laughs> yeah. You know, That's it's true. because it's a thing. It's like you, there's nothing saying that they couldn't just be playing something back and mm-hmm. then acting out a role. And that's a performance, so I'm not passing judgment on the fact that that's what they're doing because that's a performance in and of itself. I mean, art is performance. But, you know, when you're doing something, it's more creative because you've left those spaces to explore the sonic space or whatever you want to yeah. call it. Use whatever mm-hmm. phrase you want. But I like that because then it's like the best of both worlds. You've got electronic type music and all these loops and these crazy things. But because you're improvising, that's where the happy accidents come from, mm-hmm. all the way from jazz up to what you're doing. Definitely. So good work, man. How about another tune? What's next? Great. Uh, next is the song called I Tried. Okay. Tell me a little bit about the background of this tune. Is this older or newer? Is this going to be on the record? This is an older one, actually. Um, it's actually the first song we ever recorded. 
Okay. It was, it was uh, two years back, and uh, spent a lot of time on the song. It was, although we created it, wait, how far back? I think it was like four years. Back. Four years back. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, we recorded it in a very different way. We, um, I mean, we spent a long time focusing on the structure of the song. But we only, I think it was over a period of three days, we recorded it instead of a year and a half. So Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's hear this. This is the band Finley Knight. Track is called I Tried. It's not going to be on their brand new record. Where can people find this if they want to get a copy of this? Does it exist? Yeah. Uh, If they go to our website, they can find it. But it's also on iTunes, Spotify, most kind of major outlets. Okay. It's on an EP called Undivided Time. Oh, okay. So now I didn't know you had an EP. All of a sudden, you spring this on me. (laughs) All right. Are there still copies, physical copies available of that? Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So purchase that at shows, man. I tried people with this all the time. If you want to support music you love, buy their music. And especially buy it at shows because then Apple doesn't get their big cut everyone else doesn't get their big cut the band gets to have a cheeseburger that night and get enough gas money to get to the next town so the band finley knight here on independence day i'm joe armstrong let us dig this
name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day. I bring you great music from around the country and around the world every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock Pacific time. Thank God it is Pacific Daylight time. Finally, I do love the daylight and all of you who don't like it, going right back to Chicago or Minneapolis or wherever you come from where it's cold and miserable. Uh, tonight's band is Finley Knight. They just happen to be from Chicago. Man, you guys had a horrible, horrible winter. Yeah, we did. How did you survive? I mean, I remember how I survived. There's a lot of harsh language. A lot of stopping at pubs on the way home from the Polina L stop, uh, and mostly mostly harsh language and like wishing for summer. How do you get through it? A lot of depressing songs in the studio. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's how I got through it too. Mine were mostly acoustic guitar songs, but men chicks love those too. Um, but so, would you categorize your music? And this is a really I don't know. It's a funny question. Is your music summer music, fall music, spring music, winter mm-hmm. music, or do you think there's some of all of that in there? I don't think I've ever even thought about that. Yeah, maybe off the top of my head, maybe fall, end of fall end or of fall. winter. <laughs> People in Los Angeles don't, that's not a question that like has any relevance in Los Angeles or places where the weather mm-hmm. is, you know, there, there are seasons here that are just more mild. Because I feel like, like Nick Drake for me, that's always fall music. I always get out my Nick Drake in the fall. In springtime, there's certain bands I always listen to in the springtime. In the music that I write, I, I think of it as being summer music because it's breezy rock and roll, lots of jangly guitars, that kind of thing. Mm. But uh, I don't know. People, there's all kinds of things that people impose upon the music they listen to. So you think you're late fall? Yeah, I say that late fall, early winter, because I feel like our music, you kind of have to sit alone and listen to. Okay. As opposed to being out at a club. Yeah. Everyone mingling over it. So even with the loops and even with the technology, you still think it's something that's kind of a listening experience rather than like a shaking your booty experience. I don't say booty, but... We're, yeah. yeah, we're trying to to turn it into that for our live shows more and more, but the record, I think, you should sit and listen to with headphones on. Yeah, okay. It's one of those kind of things. Yeah. They do, still, do they still do headphones only? God, it was The Loop or WCKG, one of those classic stations, classic rock stations in Chicago used to do something called headphones only. Hmm. Like 11 o'clock every night, they'd play like a track from Dark Side of the Moon and a track yeah. from Alan Parsons Project and all this stuff and old Zeppelin that had all the, the stuff for people or it had to be experienced with a big bong and you had to have the earphones on. Maybe they don't do that anymore. I don't know. But it seems like everything is headphones only now. Most people seem to listen on earbuds. Mm-hmm. Do you take that into consideration when you're doing your mixes? Like, do you do, we used to do oh, mixes yeah. and then, you know, listen to them on the really nice stereo or the speakers in the studio, very expensive speakers, but nobody's stereo sounds like that. So yeah. we'd make a cassette and then go sit in the car yeah. and listen on our crappy stereo. So do mm-hmm. you do that to earbuds now? Yeah, definitely to, to earbuds in the car. The car is also a great, yeah. uh, great source to sit and listen. Those yeah. are too. So that's, that still happens. But, but earbuds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I guess you'd have to, or, or laptop speakers. I feel like now yeah. you almost have to mix to laptop yeah. speakers. I mean, it's kind of a shame in a way. We were joking about Neil Young and his, uh, what's the thing called? The Pono? Oh, yeah. Pono. I think Pono. it's Pono. Yeah. His like high resolution iPod that's very strangely shaped like a triangle. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and kudos to him because I do think, I mean, it. I don't know. Do you guys listen to most of your music on MP3 at home? Uh, I mean, if I can get a WAV file, that's what I'd rather have. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, MP3s. My, one of my computer speakers is broken, so Uh-oh. that's my test. <laughs> I make sure it sounds good through that. But, okay. but yeah, a lot of MP3s. I mean, listening on our phones. Yeah, because it's, I mean, it makes a big difference. I mean, when, when iPods first came out, 
you know, gosh, 10 whole years ago or whenever they first started dropping, everybody got them. I still remember that moment. I was, I was on tour, an international tour with a band, and I was on a 747 flying over the South Pacific, not too far from where that airplane went down. And the guy, you know, I'm, I'm like digging around underneath my seat getting out a Case Logic CD case with all the CDs in it. I've got my little disc man. It sounds so ridiculous. And I'm like flipping through, and I'm trying to pull out a disc. What do I want to listen to? And the guy next to me had been touring longer and had a little more money. He pulls an iPod out of his pocket. It's like the pack of, size of a pack of cigarettes. And he figures, just finds a song, puts it back in his pocket. I was like, okay, that's it. That's, the, that's, when, I saw, that's when I realized the future mm-hmm. was coming, and that's, that's the way cool. it was going to be. And I bought an iPod immediately. And then it was the novelty of having your entire collection in your pocket at all times. It was awesome. But lately, like even in my car, I listen to CDs more. Same. It's, yeah. it's an outdated format, but it's like now I've noticed after all these years, even after being a sound engineer, how crappy MP3s sound. Yeah. There are tricks you can do to make them sound a little better. But I don't know. I, I want sound quality. And Neil Young, to his point, to tie it all together, that's been his complaint all along, is that he wanted things to sound better than CDs, which is laughable now because now CD sounds good compared to what we're dealing with. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we buy records all the time on vinyl. Yeah. yeah we, we have a record player and... Who do you buy? Like, what do you like to find? Like, if you, what would be the record if you went to Amoeba? Like, what would be the number one record that you'd be, you've been looking for for months? Hmm. Well, uh, there's a new uh, there's a new DJ project. Uh, the Range is okay. is what he goes by, and uh, he's I saw him live at, at a small place in Chicago about a month ago at the Empty Bottle, and it was a phenomenal set. So. I would definitely go to Amoeba and buy his record. Okay, so that's a new pressing of something. That's not like an old school. Yeah, no, something. It's brand new. Okay, that's cool. Are you guys gonna press vinyl of this record? Yeah. All right, that's good. It's yeah. good to hear. I think we're just gonna sell it uh, at our shows uh, initially. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you'll do CDs as well. So mm-hmm. CDs, and you know, people will be able to buy it on iTunes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. The band Finley Knight. They are brothers. John Connor Detchen. Is their last name? The band is named after their middle names, Finley and Knight. Knight with a K. That's so those are cool middle names. I mean, I mean, think about your band could be called like Michael Steve. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot yeah. of people in Chicago and elsewhere have kind of simpler middle names. But having, you know, how did you wind up with these family names? Yeah, family they, names. They're, yeah. they're both family names from uh, from our dad's side. And, uh, we lucked okay. out. Are your folks pretty proud of the fact that you named the band after like family names? Definitely. Yeah, our grandma's dad's name was Robert Finley Knight, so she okay. loves it. But like I said, much better than Michael Paul. <laughs> or like, you know, what could be even worse than that? It could be like Owen Aloysius or, you know, who knows, man. Names are so important. Um, let's do this because you guys are, are too, uh, you're in your 20s. Why don't you d- describe yourselves in high school? Were you guys like music geeks? Were you mm-hmm. sports geeks? Were you not geeks at all? Were you football players? Like, and how, how does that affect what you do now? Well, we were always playing music. We were playing in bands in high school. Pretty obsessed with that, but yeah, Connor was but a we also were, killer football player. We also played sports and kind of trying to do it all okay. at the same time, I guess. Yeah. In your high school, was there, was there like a truce between the sports and the music scenario? Yeah. Because in some high schools, one of my best friends... In his high school, it was like this total peaceful coexistence between sports and music. But in my high school, like the teachers on either side, like the, the football coach would fi- or the track coach or whatever, would fight over the, the talented kids who were doing both. Mm. It's like they couldn't really be part of both in my school. It was more delineated, I think. Well, we weren't, we weren't super involved with music in the high school, okay. uh, which 
So maybe we didn't experience that, but I think there was kind of a peaceful truce. I mean, yeah, yeah I thought so. Okay, that's cool. How um how independent are you? Because you guys, you know, you worked with Joey Warnker to do the record. Um, you have PR, obviously. Do you have other management? Do you have like, are you actually technically on a label? No, right now? we're independent from label. We have our um our we've been doing radio campaigns with Twin Vision, Peter Hay of Twin Vision. He's been really helpful. Um, we have you know, a, a tight knit group of people who are helping us, but it's okay. not, uh, yeah, it's not like a big formal record label organization. Yeah. People, and you don't, well, you don't need it now. You know, yeah. the, the bigger the organization, the more, <laughs> the more mouths to feed, yeah. the more egos to, to satisfy, the yeah. more ideas that you have to fight over, mm-hmm. you know, so it's nice to be streamlined, you know, people, lots of people who used to have big record contracts don't even bother anymore. You know, well, Radiohead's a great example. We were just talking about In Rainbows the other day, my friends and I, and how they released the record and people could pay what they want. Like, yeah. they're real innovators. Yeah. So you know, great. now have you heard what Wu-Tang Clan is doing? Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. They're, they're it's making awesome. one copy, like <laughs> jewel-encrusted copy of their new record. Fascinating. There's so many yeah. ways to innovate. And, you know, that's the thing about, you know, musicians are by, by nature creative people. You just have to apply it to the, not just the music but the way you market your music, the way you connect with your fans. Okay, so given how streamlined your organization is, you guys have come pretty far. You know, you're working with well-known producers. You've got records that will be available nationally. Um, and you've done these residencies, like in, in other towns and other continents. Like how do you, being, you know, from an independent perspective, how do you set those kinds of things up where you're playing in South America? And when you say residency in South America, how long of a residency is that? Is it a week? Yeah. Is it a month? Two months? Six years? Yeah, we were there for uh, um, almost two months, um, and we... It was more of a tour than a residency in okay. South America. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. We we decided we wanted to leave the country. We had been touring the U.S., and we decided, well, we could probably book shows. We booked them ourselves in the U.S. We could probably book shows somewhere else, and randomly we kind of chose Argentina um, and Chile, and we uh, sent some emails out. We both of us barely speak Spanish, and we were writing up emails. <laughs> that was going to be my next Get, logical yeah. question. We were, we were getting. We just connected, yeah, with some some local touring bands down there, and we we got in contact with the manager who was setting up a tour, and and we paid him a little bit to okay. get us involved. So now with something like that, I mean, being an independent band, uh, well, th- let's ask this: Are you are you full time music? You guys do music full-time for money? That's the, like your main gig? Yeah. Okay. So then when you go to a tour in South America, like, were you nervous about like breaking even? Did you know ahead of time that you were going to break even? Like, or is this kind of a gorilla thing where you went off and just did whatever? It was gorilla. We weren't even <laughs> sure that these shows were set up. We showed up. We were, to our surprise, there was like signs up all the way from the United States, Finley Night. And we, nice. we, we kind of... Yeah, it was promoted we're not, well. We definitely were not certain that the, any shows were going to be set up. <laughs> okay. But turned out this this guy we connected with, Arteus, was uh, so helpful yeah. at every show. Um, you know, found us places to sleep, uh, got us instruments that we needed. We also didn't realize the voltage changed down <laughs> oh, there. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Which for you guys is a huge consideration because it's yeah. not like you're just showing up with a guitar. Well, yeah. the, first, the first time we plugged in one of our micro-corgs, the, 
the thing basically lit on fire. Oh. <laughs> so you did it on video, I hope, because that's pretty cool. So, yeah. you know, show number one was a, a little bit of a struggle because that happened about an hour before the show. But it was it was an adventure, to yeah. say the least. Yeah, definitely. Um, so did you, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe you don't even want to answer this. Did you break even on the tour? Did you come out ahead? Did you? We, yeah, we, we did. Yeah, we came out ahead. Okay. Now, touring Barely. domestically, again, you're independent. You know, you've been doing, you've been at this a few years. So do you have like a network of sh- places in certain towns where you tend to play when you show up? And are you booking those yourselves completely? Mm-hmm. We're booking them all ourselves. Uh, we've been, you know, we think our next great step would be to connect with booking agency. Yeah. Um, but so far, we yeah, there's certain cities, New York, Chicago, L.A., Austin, um, couple others that we feel like we have a good network yeah yeah so have you guys done things like festivals south by southwest things like that are you submitting to those or have you not bothered yet no we have we have not okay so as you're traveling around here i mean this is this is my like my fun question for me at least what do you do if the power blinks off because for you guys you're again you're not just a guy a couple guys with mm-hmm. guitars there you're like you're very dependent on all these instruments and although yeah, maybe it's they're not as fragile as they once were in terms of that kind of thing. Like the show's stops. Yeah. I mean, aside from the PA turning off, but like, or even if there's a blink of power, like there was one point where, God, I had a sampler where you had to load in the sounds on floppy disks every mm-hmm. time you wanted yeah. to play something. And if the power blinked off, boom, gone. It would take me 15 minutes to get back to where I was just having the sounds in there. Yeah. Like, have you guys had any train wrecks? I think, I mean, luckily, no, we have not. But I think one time we were playing a show. Yeah, and all of the power went out, and so, but we had a drummer at that point, Bryce, and he just kept drumming for a couple of minutes while we got everything else squared away. Okay, so now now you're live without a neck <laughs> because you don't have that drum. Although one of you guys tends to bring a drum set, yeah, sometimes yeah. when you play live. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you vamp for five minutes. I'm going to get everything else. <laughs> yeah, plugged fortunately back in. that hasn't happened to the two of us. So when you guys set out to do these these tours you know to these these major cities do you tend to kind of because the residency came up in your pr stuff like mm-hmm. do you get like a week in a town do you get like a couple weeks in a town and where do you stay we we got to do a, a cool residency in new york um where we were actually out there for about two and a half months playing uh every wednesday night sometimes twice a week at this place called fat baby uh on the lower east side so that was quite the adventure for us because we actually, uh, you know, when we when we showed up in New York, our the, the main thing we needed was a rehearsal studio. Okay. So we showed up, lugged all our gear, we drove out to New York, and we, we hadn't even figured out where we were going to stay, so we slept a couple nights in the studio. Oh, wow. Fast forward two and a half months, we spent the whole summer in the studio. Wow. <laughs> I'm sure and, that's some kind of health code violation. <laughs> definitely. But it was, you know, it was probably one of the most fun couple yeah couple months that we've we've had that's the fun thing about music is that sometimes you have to learn to let things be what they are you know because if you if you fight against the things that are happening like the, even the misfortune that befalls you like if you sometimes if you fight against it <laughs> the forces allied against you will just become more powerful yeah and then but if you go with it you roll with it like you you know, you work your technological limitations into your creativity and you work the happy mistakes into your music. It becomes more, your life becomes creative. Definitely. The whole thing comes, becomes creative. Yeah. Anyway, now I'm getting all poetic about it. <laughs> all right, you got about, we've got about enough time for one more tune. What's this going to be, guys? Cool. The song's called Cities. Cities. And this is also on the new record? It is, yeah. It's uh, officially Cities by David Byrne. Oh, okay. 
So it's uh, actually a song by David Byrne, or well, the song is titled Cities by David it's Byrne. It's titled Cities by David Byrne, um, just because we love the guy. But as no, it, he didn't write it. We did. Okay, well, it's your song. It's kind of like uh, the gorilla song, Clint Eastwood. Yep. It has nothing to do with Clint Eastwood. Exactly. It just happened to name the song Clint Eastwood, yeah. which actually makes me like the song more. Yeah, it's a good song. Because I like Clint Eastwood. <laughs> yeah. I think he's a cool guy. Yeah. I'm much more apt to listen to a gorilla song if the song is named <laughs> after an actor that I like. All right. So once again, John and Connor Detchen here on Independence Day. They are Finley Knight. Let's hear this.
The song Cities by David Byrne. The band is Finley Knight, Chicago-based band out here in Los Angeles, although it has nothing to do with David Byrne other than the title, but that's pretty cool. It's clever because everyone knows who David Byrne is. I'm going to name all my songs from now on. I'm going to name them uh, Bill Gates. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what's that hot model? <laughs> I don't know. Pick your hot model. All my songs are going to be named after those two people. Uh, you know, it's been a pleasure having you guys come into the studio, play some songs for us. Uh, you know, be nice to the dog, our mascot, Sally. It's very, very nice to have you guys here. It's so nice to have people from Chicago here. Oh, thank you, Joe. You know, there's a big network of Chicagoans in Los Angeles, but uh, you guys are welcome out here anytime. Uh, what's the, what's uh, so you've got this record dropping very, very soon, May 6th. And then what are the plans for the summer? You've got you're working on some dates, but nothing's confirmed, right? Mm-hmm. More okay. tour dates and um, and getting back in the studio. I mean, we're in there constantly, but okay. Getting more tracks out. If you're like me, by the time the record comes out, you've already got a whole other record written. Yeah. That's kind of how the way it goes. Uh, so dates coming up later, and people will be able to learn about those at finleynight.com. You can find them on Facebook, although their their little uh, URL is a little bit verbose. So we're just suffice to say that you can look them up on Facebook, youtube.com slash finleynight. Also follow them on Twitter at finleynight. They've got summer dates upcoming, and buy their brand new record, Finley Night, coming out very, very soon. Thanks, guys. It's been a great time. Thank, thank you, you Joe. Joe. So thank you to John and Connor from Finley Knight, also to the Independence Day staff, Valentino Rivera, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. And very big thanks to Tony Tonloke Piscotti, who makes the website go. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. For Independence Day, I'm Joe Armstrong. Please be good to one another. <laughs>